Before long, a happy event is going to take place in this family, bringing it an even greater glory than it has enjoyed up to now. But it will be a glory as excessive and as transitory as a posy of fresh flowers pinned to an embroidered dress, or the flare-up of spilt cooking oil on a blazing fire. In the midst of that brief moment of happiness, never forget that even the best party must have an end. For if you do, and if you fail to take precautions in good time, you will live to regret it bitterly when it is already too late. What is this happy event you speak of? Shifong asked her eagerly. That is a secret which may not be revealed to mortal ears. However, for the sake of our brief friendship on this earth, I leave you these words as my parting gift. Be sure that you remember them well. When the three springs have gone, the flowering time will end, and each one for himself, as best he may, must fend. And so, quite swiftly, you know, people begin to assemble and gather, and there's there's much that needs to be done as a result of her death. And Bao Yu goes round to see what's kind of going on in the Ning household. There's honestly a slightly humorous part in one in one paragraph. I, I, I don't know whether you thought this. But like a slightly ludicrous section where Cao lists off all of the different male family members who've come round. Um, yes, that, that was exactly my re reaction, that this is incredibly funny. I, I was thinking whether we would try uh, on the air to uh, just, go, just very quickly read off like, these like 12 million names. Yeah, so, so it says, so Bao Yu went to look for cousin Jun, i.e. Jia Jun, the father-in-law of Qian Shi. By now, Jia Dairu, Jia Daixiu, Jia Chi, Jia Xiao, Jia Dun, Jia She, Jia Zheng, Jia Cong, Jia Bin, Jia Heng, brackets one, Jia Guang, Jia Chen, Jia Qiong, Jia Lin, Jia Qiang, Jia Zhang, Jia Ling, Jia Yun, Jia Qin, Jia Jin, Jia Ping, Jia Zhao, Jia Heng, brackets two, Jia Fen, Jia Fang, Jia Lan, Jia Jun, and Jia Zhi had all arrived. Uh, so I mean, it's like it, it, it's it's uh, it definitely is a slightly ridiculous um, uh, section, and I, I think kind of deliberately so, because also we don't really know who most of these people are. Um, it's a gaggle of jazz, yeah, a, a, a jaggle, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, and and who is this? Um, I noticed uh, Jia Chin. Do we know? Do we know anything about him? My only reaction was it's the same chin as in 
uh, Tao Shui Qian. I'm sure that's just oh, a coincidence. Interesting. Um, uh, but maybe is that the the author? You know, is that the director emerging as a minor character? He's written himself in. I, I I'd honestly skimmed over that, but that's a good spot. Uh, quite possibly, yes. Um, uh, he's saying this is a kind of stand-in for his own character. It's you know like when painters paint themselves into the background of some scene. Right? Yeah, yeah. Or, or like when uh, Alfred Hitchcock plays like a, a janitor in one scene or yeah. something to that effect. So much of the remaining part of the chapter revolves around Jia Jun, cousin Jun, basically, who is, uh, as I said, is the the father-in-law of Qian Shi. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his son, um, Jia Rong, was Qian Shi's husband, and. It's implied at various points in the book, but never said expressly that he, i.e. Jia Zhen, and Qian Shi, his daughter-in-law, were having some kind of affair. And it's this affair that has caused her her sickness and led to her death. Um, and indeed, in, in a different draft, Cao Xue Qin actually had her hang herself instead. Right, from the Tian uh, Xiang Lo, the Heavenly Fragrance Pavilion. Yes, exactly. Um, and we'll see some stuff about that uh, in, in a moment. Um, but we can see that he is he's very affected by her death. And I thought kind of slightly suspiciously so. Yes, um, yes. More, there's a few things that he says that slightly give the game mm, away. Here. Okay, yeah. What, what, what did you um, notice? Well, just immediately after this section, in the Hawks it says, this is Jia Zhen speaking, Everyone, young or old, kinsman or friend, knows that my daughter-in-law was ten times better than any son. Now she's been taken from us, it's plain to see that this senior branch of the family is doomed to extinction. And then he begins crying. Mm. But in the Chinese, I think it's clearer that he's not saying any son. He's saying his own son. So uh, he says, 谁不知我这媳妇比儿子还长十倍? So whom among us does not know that my daughter-in-law was ten times literally stronger uh, than than s- he uses the word son but it kind of suggests here like my own son you know so I mean it seems that he I don't know has a relatively low opinion of his own son and had a very very much higher esteem for his his daughter-in-law and he also seems to say in the Hawks he says just take everything I have but again, in the in the Chinese, it seems to be more like I've lost everything rather than take everything. So, which seems to be suggests more that I don't know. When I read it, it seemed more like I have lost everything rather than kind of take everything. So I feel like he he's there's a sense that what he's mourning is much more than just the loss of his son's wife. That's interesting. It does. He does seem to be. Uh overcompensating and it's not clear based on the text whether his mourning is sincere or not or whether he's trying to keep up appearances or whether he's overly it's 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 a little bit unclear i think what goes on next well they they talk about how um the preparations for her her funeral go they arrange for her to have a kind of lying in state um as you would for for a i suppose a, a a monarch or you know other noble figure and um, so that's going to be 49 days, so seven by seven. Mm-hmm. They're going to make this 
notice of condolence public in three days so that people can come around and pay their respects. They're going to have various Buddhist monks and Taoist priests come to the household to perform various kind of ceremonies, and uh, Qin Shi's body will be placed uh, in a particular part of the house. It, in the uh, Ascension Pavilion. Right, that sounds right. Which is in the original, it, it is um, the Deng Xian Ge, literally the um, Becoming Immortal Pavilion. Uh, and, and this is part of exactly. the Hui Fang Yuan, the All Sense Garden. There's one thing about these ceremonies that I think is uh, particularly interesting and worth picking out. So in the Hawks it says, 108 Buddhist monks were engaged to perform a grand misericordia for the salvation of all departed souls in the main reception hall of the mansion during these 49 days, while at the same time, 99 Taoist priests of the Quanzhen sect were to perform ceremonies of purification and absolution at a separate altar in the Celestial Fragrance Pavilion. And it's that second half that I really want to focus on. Because their ceremonies of purification and absolution, i.e. absolution being asking for forgiveness, something along those lines, and it's the Celestial Fragrance Pavilion, i.e. the Tian Xiang Lou. Where she was said to have, uh, in one version of the text, committed suicide, right? And so we see exactly. this weird, uh, exactly. this dreamlike um, displacement going on where this is the, you know, the place where her ghost version, you know, her like separate self in the, uh, like the fictional metaverse or what have you, this is where the other version of her ghost should be lingering. And so we see, we see some hints of that here, don't we? Right, precisely. So given that she did not, in this version of the story, hang herself but just quietly died in her bed. There is no need to perform these these rites of purification or, or whatever. Um, but the fact that they're doing it, I think is, is Sal kind of hinting to us that kind of alluding to uh, that having been the real, kind of what really happened, right. I suppose. And that's why they have to, um, that's why purification's needed, because this is now a, a space rendered foul by the spilling of blood it's become like a tabooed space a potentially haunted space exactly so there's another bit which again i found kind of slightly humorous or but i don't know whether it's intended (laughs) i know what you're Um, gonna say yeah go on (laughs) where well it mentions (laughs) jia jing who is the he's the patriarch of the of the ning branch of the jia clan um and and we've talked about him before he he kind of gave it all up to go off and be a taoist Right, um, and he's just kind of abandoned his family. <laughs> and in the last but one chapter, chapter eleven, they have a birthday party for him, which he doesn't attend because he's off doing Taoist stuff. Of course, stuff. yeah. And yeah, he's very busy um, trying to attain immortality. <laughs> and so there's this quite brief um, paragraph in the Hawks, which reads. Nothing would induce old Jia Jing to return home when he learned of the death of his grandson's wife. Immortality was within his grasp, and he was not going to impair his hard-won sanctity with the taint of earthly pollution. Accordingly, he left all these matters to Cousin Jun to order as he wished. And yeah, that more or less, that more or less nails it. But, you know, I, I had it as when Jia Jing heard of Qin Shi's death, as he had long been attempting to achieve immortality, 
How could he return home and be polluted by the red dust of the material world, thereby wasting all his hard work to date? So, so he's not interested. Uh, he's like, sorry to hear that. Um, <laughs> R.I.P. to Chinshu, <laughs> but I'm different. It's um, <laughs> it's really a good question whether the author I- intended him to be uh, as humorous as uh, I think you and I find him to be. He's the ultimate just deadbeat. He's completely useless, uh, but he's like it's, it's something really uh, relatable um, and kind of humorous about. You know, the word for immortality is uh, feisheng, which means like literally uh, like to kind of like uh, to fly upward or elevate heavenward right uh and so i I imagine this like half drunk old man like sort of like standing in a courtyard somewhere and like kind of jumping you know like hopping and like like imagining like if he like really concentrates he's going to be able to you know finally start to fly but it, it doesn't work maybe and he like he gets kind of uh composes himself uh again and he tries again and he still like only hops you know like two feet or something uh i, I just imagine this sort of um this this comical this light-hearted farce of a man yeah that's that is exactly what i imagined <laughs> um yeah 100 okay so it's so it's all left in jajan's hands to arrange and we hear that he is handling it with a kind of reckless extravagance oh wait before we uh, talk about that, I did want to mention another just uh, kind of mind, a uh, kind of uh, eye-popping detail. You, you probably know what I'm talking about. The uh, performative suicide of the little maid, Ray Drew. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, uh, but that, that actually comes that comes a little bit oh, later okay. on. Oh, okay. Am I, am I um, pre... Okay. Am I, am I, well, we can talk about that now if you want. it? Uh, basically, what what happens here is um, it, it's only a it's a passing comment, but it's so bizarre that we have to just mention it. Basically, what happens? Uh, maybe I'll, I'll read the the Hawks translation here. Um, news was suddenly brought that Chincha's little maid Gem, which is Reju, on hearing that her mistress was dead, had taken her own life by dashing her head against a pillar. Uh, and then, then it goes on. Uh, kind of very straight-faced. Such rare devotion excited the wondering admiration of the entire clan. Cousin Jen at once had her laid out and encoffined with the rites appropriate to a granddaughter and ordered her coffin to be placed, you know, in the uh, Ascension Pavilion alongside uh, Chinshu, um, which yeah. is uh, like kind of a, a stunning uh, and kind of grim and bizarre and strangely, uh, I, I think in this case, thankfully, unrelatable uh, sort of action. Yeah. So there's this. There is this. It's quite an interesting thing to me. I guess there are several several things to pick up here. It's a, a very like unusual way to to commit suicide, right? To to strike your head off a column so hard that you die. Um, but this has a historical precedent. So. Uh, and actually, one quite close to the time of the book, I, I did a bit of reading around it, and I think I think when we were first in the first episode talking about the history surrounding this, uh, in the Qing Dynasty, you have this this period spanning the reign of three emperors: Kangxi, Yongzheng, and Qianlong. And the middle one of them, Yongzheng, uh, he 
was one of something like 20 potential uh, claimants to the throne. 20 potential successors to mm. Kangxi. And um, ultimately, Yongzheng won out. Through fairly kind of ruthless methods, mm -hmm. I think he had this, a number of them killed or exiled or imprisoned, uh, of his competitors, that is. And then, having taken the throne, I believe one of the mothers of one of the other potential successors who had been perhaps killed or exiled, I don't recall exactly, she killed herself in this mm. way, uh, according to the legend. Because she considered that what Yongzheng had done in terms of so kind of ruthlessly dealing with all of his competitors was so kind of horrifying to her that she killed herself in this way, I believe, in his presence. This is interesting because it seems a rather extreme reaction given that Qianzhi has died of ostensibly natural circumstances. However, if we consider the original uh, idea, which was that she hanged herself because of the shame or possibly imminent discovery of uh, her affair with her father-in-law, then the servant's death makes more sense. Um, but this is somehow also a, um, a suicide driven by um, uh, shame or despair. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that. I was just so appalled by this action that th it's stuff like this that really makes me uh, deeply concerned about you know any kind of hierarchical uh, arrangement, any kind of hierarchical society, because there really does seem mm. to be something strange, something kind of off, something askew in the in the human soul that allows these excessive displays that uh, that. Uh, it's it's as if we have to like you know in in designing a society always be on the lookout for you know these um, wild vicissitudes of human emotion and reaction and overreaction and, and I, I really it's like th this is why I can't you know I can't condone a hierarchical society because it you end up having people's minds just totally warped especially because uh chin sure is probably what like she's not very old and so this maid is presumably several years younger than her uh it's it's yeah it, it's the kind of thing that this should be not applauded this should, <laughs> this should be um discouraged heavily obviously and, and uh yeah and that this would uh you know excite admiration is again like a, a kind of uh unexcusable sort of uh, artifact of hierarchy and uh, subjugation and objectification. It certainly is quite difficult to understand from our sort of modern perspective. This is very, right, this is very close to, you, like, burying someone alive uh, so, so that they, they can attend you in the afterlife, right? This is like, this is first emperor of, of this is Qin Shi Huangdi kind of... Um, levels of derangement yeah it, it definitely has a, a, a an echo of that doesn't it like the, the idea that the servant follows the the, the master or mistress um even unto death so, so there was there was one theory that i read um just about this this character jen uh which is based on um again just touching on the earlier point about the the suicide from shame is because her name is two characters ray and now that Ray is the same one as Jia Ray, who died of this this kind of disease of the spirit, uh, brought about by his own lustfulness or lasciviousness in the previous chapter. And 
Zhu is the same Zhu in, as in the character Jia Zhu, who we, we never meet because he dies prior to the start of the story, but he's the older brother of Jia Baoyu, our, our main character. And we don't really know much about Jia Zhu other than that he died at, as a relatively young man. And so there's also a bit of a shadow or question mark over his death. Oh. And so the theory is that this name... Rei Zhu is an allusion to both of those characters and their unnatural young deaths. And so it's suggested that somehow we should understand her death in a similar way. So, so anyway, so we find out that, that, that Cousin Zhen, Jia Zhen, is, um, he's, uh, he's really spending money like mad on this, on this funeral. And one of the big uh, things he wants to spend money on is uh, a coffin. And he's he's looked at several different sets of 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 kind of coffin planks but none of them are really good enough right um fortunately uh at this point Xuepan uh re-enters and Xuepan as we remember is the older brother of uh Xuebao Chai who is um one of the other is the other love interest of Jia Baoyu our main character and Xuepan is a we know by this point a definite bad mm-hmm. guy so in case that wasn't obvious from the fact that he has his love rival murdered in chapter three um, and that he uh, is constantly off um, drinking and gambling and visiting brothels and generally not applying himself to anything in any kind of constructive way. We also learned in, I think, chapter eight or nine that he is involved in grooming younger men within the within the clan school but his contribution in this chapter is actually uh well i mean at worst neutral and at best positive he has some some really great wood uh that could be used for a coffin um and and he invites jajan to come and look at it did you imagine him like saying this i, I don't know if i've been like uh infected by recent politics i, I almost imagined him like speaking about this wood using like a trump voice like we got the best wood i tell you it's the best wood it's stronger than iron kind of thing i don't know is that, is that a good trump impression it's really good. <laughs> you know what i mean uh, <laughs> so we learn it's from the the tiawang shan right like the iron net mountains mm-hmm. It's the kind of wood that will last 10,000 years without rotting nice. you know so it's it's a, some kind of really kind of special special wood he mentions that it was originally felled for um some kind of prince right but but then because of something which is only indirectly alluded to uh he was not permitted to use it Mm, okay so it was for this guy the prince jong Yi was the one who originally wanted it um and in the chinese it says in in the hawks he says uh, but when he came unstuck, it didn't get used. And in the Chinese, it says, "Yin ta huai le shi," so hmm. essentially because he did a bad yeah. thing. Maybe he got demoted or something. Yeah, we, we I I couldn't find anything about um this, you know, whether there was a a, a real person who this is alluding to, um, or what exactly his the bad thing was. But we have to assume it's something quite serious. Anyway, so so they go and have a look at the coffin. And, uh, well, it's quite remarkable, really. Um, we see that it's, it's about, it's using this Chinese measurement, a twin, it's eight twin thick. 
right? Uh, so tun is like, uh, it's a bit more than an inch. So it's maybe about 10 inches thick uh, by me my measurement. So, so I mean, it's these are like very serious chunky planks. Um, it has a like a pattern or grain. Uh, I translated it as uh, beetle nut, binglang. Hawks has areca palm mm. as the as okay. the word, um, and it has a, a a smell like uh like musk musk wood, uh, musk and sandalwood says Hawks. It's some um, good wood. Yeah, and when you knock on it, it has a sound like uh jade stone, you know. So it's you can imagine it kind of has this like slight kind of rich, slightly resounding noise when you when you knock upon it. Um, so it's very very fine wood. And so Jia Jun says, you know, great, I'd love to, to take this and use it for Qin Shi's coffin. And he asks the price, and Xue Pan says, I doubt you could buy a set like this for a thousand taels of silver cash down. He said, blow the price, give the workman a couple of taels for carrying it here, and it's yours. So he's, he's doing this remarkably generous thing, which is giving... Mm -hmm to Jiajun, basically for free, at cost. These planks of extremely kind of rare, expensive mm -hmm. wood. You can imagine, though, that maybe there are uh, strings attached, right? I, I got that feeling, yeah. Anyway, there's one lone voice of dissent, which is uh, Jia Zhang. So that's uh, Jia Baoyu's mm -hmm. father, who's this rather stern kind of Confucian. Um, As his name suggests. Right. Yeah, Jung. Yeah, exactly. Being kind of like uh, upright, implying kind of uprightness. Yeah. Yeah. He says in Chinese, the coffin wood, fei chang ren ke xiang. So it's not such as can be enjoyed by ordinary people, uh, commoners, really. Um, so he has a, this fear that this somehow is an offense to propriety, to the correct order of things. You know, these are planks that should really only be used for the the coffin of of an emperor or royal royal person and giving them to someone like Qin Shi who you know we should remind herself she married into the Jia clan but she actually comes from extremely modest uh, origins mm -hmm. so she is she's the adopted daughter of Qin Bangye who is a kind of minor official not particularly well off and he adopted her because he I think had no children at the age of 50 um and so he adopted her and the brother, and the brother died. And then only subsequently did he, in fact, have a, a, um, a child of his own blood, uh, Qin Zhong. And this, may be, this might be a commentary by the author on the arbitrary character of, the, of this kind of hierarchical clan system, where the, the most ideal uh, occupant of the space is basically someone who's a complete commoner uh a completely random sort of individual like you know plucked from uh just everyday life i think that that's an interesting that is a that's a good way of looking at it and he is i don't know i sense a kind of implied critique of the view of jia zheng that this is offensive to propriety because she is a commoner yeah okay yeah that yeah that his view is not necessarily the correct one at the same time that this whole kind of elaborate ritual does seem to be maybe a, a compensation for guilt and a way to um you know redirect attention away from the sorrow that potentially uh, jajen caused and yep. which 
at this time seems to have started to affect Lady Yo. Oh yeah, Yo, right. Sure. His, who his is wife, also right? um, yeah Jia Jian's wife, who has suddenly herself fallen ill, and you are to wonder whether uh, what's the cause of that illness. What does she know, and whether that knowledge is weighing heavily on her soul. Exactly. So, so, so Qinsha's death has has occasioned, like, occasioned in her like a recurrence of an old gastric illness, and we hear that this basically keeps her laid out for the entirety of that mourning period, the full forty nine days, such that she's not really able to receive visitors, uh, and and assist in the kind of formalities expected uh, of a family in this situation. Right. So, what is she? What is she dealing with? Why is she affected so? so deeply were not for you know that would be a very plausible explanation i think that it's, it's she, a very good point yeah you know she knows the evil that has um occurred here potentially yep yep so next we have uh preparation for the for the funeral and we see that there's going to be kind of various i think they're kind of banners with you know things written on them in 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 large characters that will announce who it is that's died and her status and you know these kind of things and Jia Jun is very concerned because Qin Shi's husband his son uh, Jia Rong is just a student at the time he doesn't hold any kind of significant imperial position they give his age he's 20 years old yeah so I mean he, of course he's not like made some great thing of his life so far but Jia Jun is worried anyway and he says it's an absurdly insignificant title to write on a funeral banner, um, which would make a very poor showing when born in the funeral procession. And I suppose, you know, I can I can understand this in the way because, you know, it's perhaps may lead to a kind of loss of face or something if it does just say, you know, Qin Shi deceased wife of Jia Rong student. But in a sense, this is only really true because he has made such a song and dance of her funeral by having this grand coffin, mm-hmm. by having so many people, so many monks and priests around, you know, and, you know, I think it's a, it's partly a consequence of his own act, of uh, Jia Jun's own actions. But he decides that what he's got to do is find an official position for him so that he'll, you know, sound, sound kind of appropriately important. Um, and luckily, one of the palace eunuchs, uh, a man called Dai Quan, comes to their house to pay his condolences. And... I, I don't know that actually that much about the role of eunuchs in the Qing dynasty, but I know that uh, in the the preceding dynasty, the the Ming, um, eunuchs held quite an important role. And this is actually I think true in you know many different parts of the world at different times. You have castrated men serving within the royal household, and presumably the reason for castrating them is that you then remove the risk of them impregnating any of the the kind of women of the royal or imperial household and thereby casting a you know a doubt over the um patrimony of uh any subsequent emperors kings etc mm-hmm. anyway they go on to hold kind of great power as as kind of royal servants and and things and in this case that's what we assume of daichuan he's he's a kind of high up eunuch within the within the imperial household now jia jen asks him you know are there any official positions going that i might um be able to get for my for my son you know for sale to, to purchase 
Exactly, exactly. Kind of royal positions for sale. And so I'll read from the from the Hawks here. Well, by a lucky coincidence, said Daichuan, there is rather a good place going at this very moment. The corps of officers of the Imperial Guard, which has an establishment of 300, has got two vacancies in it. Yesterday, Lord Xiangyang's brother, Sanakins, begged, begged me for one of them and sent 1,500 tails of silver round to my house to pay for it. He and I have always been good friends, as you know. And in any case, I felt I had to do something for his grandpa's sake, so I couldn't very well refuse. Piggy Feng, the military governor of Yongxing, has asked me if he can buy the remaining place for his son, but I haven't had time yet to give him a reply. If our young friend here wants it, why not jot down his particulars and I'll see what I can do. So, so this is, you know, very craven and very matter-of-fact corruption. Um, mm -hmm. This imperial eunuch, essentially a high official of the imperial palace, is saying, look, there are these two places available within the officer corps of the imperial guard. If you pay me a frankly outrageous sum of money, um, I can make sure one of them goes to your son. Um, there's no question of any kind of meritocracy or, or really question of his qualifications. He, he does ask him for a, something like a kind of CV resume, right? Mm -hmm. But but it's mostly about his antecedents rather than Jiarong himself, right? Yeah, it's it's basically uh, yeah his lineage. So, you know, it says several different things at once. It says something about the imperial system of the time and the way that it operated. Uh, it's... It reminds me a lot of the way that things worked at the same time in, 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 in Europe. It was very common for the sons of wealthy families to to buy themselves a commission in the army. That, I think, was one of the ways actually the army kind of paid for itself was rather than having the officers chosen from among the most able men, they were entirely for sale. And mm -hmm. so you had command held by people who were frankly completely unqualified for it um but who were best you know most able to pay for them so so we know that the system is quite corrupt and it all kind of works on on money and patronage but we also know that jia Zhen is is really they you know it mentioned earlier in the chapter that he spent extravagantly and and you know we yeah. really can see that here it's difficult exactly to gauge how much things cost um at the time and, and the value of money but we have some reference right so okay yeah let's do this yeah Okay, so in chapter in chapter two, Jia Yutun, who is at that point he's he's an imperial official in his first posting, when he marries his um his second wife, he pays a hundred tails of silver for her wedding dowry. Now she is just a um a servant. Uh mm -hmm. so she's not a noblewoman in her own respect. So I guess you would expect that the dowry would be significantly lower, but still a hundred yeah. tails of silver is a is a is a significant it's, amount. Mm -hmm. It's generous, uh, yeah. Yeah, and we learned that in the previous chapter, when Jia Rei gets into trouble and he has to essentially bribe Jia Rong and Jia Chang to help him sneak out, he gives them each an IOU for 50 tails of silver, so total right. 100. Mm -hmm. Now, earlier in this chapter, when they're talking about this extremely grand coffin, uh, Xue Pan says, you couldn't buy this even for a thousand tails of silver. So we're to understand that a thousand tails of silver is is a really really significant amount of money. You know, you might say you couldn't buy this for a million dollars, kind of thing. Mm, um, okay. So maybe we're talking those kind of sums. Um, and here is this eunuch saying that one of these 
official positions sold for fifteen hundred. So so fifty percent more than this already significant sum of money. And do you remember how much money did uh, Liu Lao Lao get? Uh, Twenty tails of silver, I think. Okay, so and that was and she was positively ecstatic, I think, to receive that much money. Yeah, yeah. So she's she's a poor peasant woman, and to her, twenty tails of silver is a very, very significant amount of money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so he essentially buys his son a commission in the army, and we learn that yeah, this is kind of about ensuring that the family has face at at the funeral. But there's a uh, there's a separate consequence which I think is worth bringing up, which is that it also makes Qin Shi retrospectively uh, ennobled, or, or posthumously ennobled. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know how each chapter in in this book has kind of two subtitles the first of them is posthumously acquires the status of a noble dame and the way that she acquires the status is through jarong being made this uh this army this army captain or or whatever it is um so uh, you know i actually think it's coming back to that uh same earlier point about um jiajun's actions displaying a certain kind of grief not not like not mere grief but kind of regret and feeling a need to kind of compensate or make up for um uh in his actions the original there what hawks has rendered noble dame the original there is long jin wei which yeah. would be something like um the I, I would i would translate that as the the guardian of the forbidden space and so it's it actually relates again to the the kind of um, space that the eunuch or a eunuch would occupy. The um, like the the forbidden space is the the inner chambers of the uh, of an imperial court. Exactly that. Like it's uh, the way here being a kind of uh, military officer and mm-hmm. Long Jin being the Long being I think standing in for uh, emperor in this case, even though it originally means dragon. Um, right. And Jin, as you say, being the the kind of restricted area, the 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 like forbidden, the forbidden uh, in, um, in Chinese, circle. Uh, Jin Zhong, the forbidden center. So I think we then get on to what's probably the final part of the chapter, which is, you know, we mentioned that uh, Jia Zhen's wife Yao Shi has been struck down by a recurrence of her old gastric illness, and this means that she's unable to act as kind of lady of the house and kind of greet visitors and do kind of all of the 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 duties expected of her as hostess and um jia jun worries that this is kind of improper somehow um and it may lead to some embarrassment or loss of face for for their family and so i believe it's bao yu who recommends uh Feng for the exactly for this new position Exactly. Again, which was foreshadowed in the dream uh, sequence earlier. Precisely. So, so yeah, he Jia Jun decides that he will ask Wang Shifeng to to exactly act as kind of woman of the house. We think just for this forty nine day mourning period, and so he goes to he goes to ask, and he he asks not Wang Shifeng herself, but Lady Wang, uh, Wang Shifeng's aunt who is mm-hmm. kind of one of the most important women of the of the wrong branch of the mm-hmm. of the jack clan and Bao Yu's mother and Bao Yu's yeah. mother exactly um and 
she is initially a bit concerned because she thinks that Wang Xifeng is maybe too young for it. She's never done this particular kind of task before uh, and she's worried that because of, through her own inexperience, she may bring some kind of embarrassment uh, upon uh, Jia Zhen's household. But Jia Zhen, he, uh, he turns on the waterworks. <laughs> you know, he, he starts crying and, um, and that's, uh, <laughs> that's enough to win over Wang Fu Ren. If this were an RPG, I think crying would be like a, always an option. You know, you, yeah. you could always press Y to cry and it, mm-hmm. it would be one of the most effective moves. Yeah. Yep. And you know, he, when he comes to see them, he's kind of hobbling along, uh, with a walking stick, you know, uh, and I, 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 I read that as being slightly um, a kind of for show, kind of put okay. on, um, laying it I, on I, a little I, thick, maybe. Exactly, I thought that. Well, it's not really mentioned until now that he that he's had any problems with his health, and and obviously it's to be expected that a you know a loss of this type would engender a great deal of grief, and because he's a bit older that could affect his health and because he has been the only one kind of organizing everything he's probably been doing lots of kind of running around and worrying and not kind of sleeping enough so perhaps this is genuine to some degree but it it did strike me as deliberately making himself appear pitiable mm-hmm. in order to obtain that that agreement from 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 lady wang mm-hmm. definitely yeah so Wang Shifeng decides, yes, she you know she'd be very keen to do that. She she wants to help out. She loves stuff like this, right? She loves yeah. managing things. She loves being in control. Uh, she doesn't she doesn't really have a poetic mind. She has a more like a, a black and white. She knows how to organize divisions and how to. Um, she's practical. She's practical. Very practical. We we can easily imagine that from a young age she was the, you know. When the kids would play, she was the she was the general. She was in charge. Okay, yeah, which maybe corresponds with her fire essence. And so she agrees, and Jiajun gives her two rules only. One is spare no expense. Oh no! And two, she should treat all of the members of Jiajun's house as though they were her own household. You know, make yourself at home, basically. Uh, and so the second of these is, is you know, I think quite fair. But I think uh, the the first of them is a bit more worrying based on that, that kind of premonition at the beginning of the chapter, right? Right. And there's no indication that she... Is there? Is there any indication that she is thinking about the dream and, and she's reflecting on, you know, things have to change. I have to be more... Because at the very end of the chapter, there is the... Um, she has... She almost immediately constructs a list in her mind, which again is very uh, reflective of this kind of personality, where everything is ordered, uh, and you have kind of a like a X Y Z things that need to be done. Um, mm-hmm. And I guess to a certain extent, frugality is a value emphasized in this list, right? Could that be a sense that she is, in fact, taking heed of uh, Chinsher's warning? Yes, I think so. Right. I um. I think that's exactly it. That that was okay. um okay. That was the way I understood it. She she kind of sets the tar- you know, gets gets going with her new role and immediately comes up with these yeah, these five 
kind of measures that she wants to implement um, or five things that she wants to kind of correct. Do you, do you want to read out what those five things are? Sure, yeah. Um, so I have it here. Um, these are things specially in need of attention. Namely, because the Ning household was so large and so motley an establishment, things were always getting lost. That's the first one. The second one, because there was no rational division of labor, it always seemed to be somebody else's responsibility whenever a job needed to be done. The third one, because the household's expenditure was so lavish, money was always getting misappropriated or misspent. And the fourth one, because no distinctions were made between one job and another, the rewards and hardships were unfairly distributed. Uh, and finally, because the servants were so arrogant and undisciplined, those with quote-unquote face could brook no restraint and those without could win no advancement. And, and so on one level, this does seem to be in line with the kind of values that uh, Ching Ka Ching in the dream uh, was trying to impress upon Wang Shifeng. And yet at the same time, none of this is related to establishing you know, a separate fund for the ancestral grounds or for the clan school. And so I'm kind of torn between thinking this is just Wang Shifeng, you know, at her kind of or her base nature, her, her basic character as someone who organizes and who is concerned with yeah. efficiency and frugality generally, maybe. I think I think that that's that's probably right. I, I think this is more just a reflection of the type of person she is than necessarily choosing to implement the the measures that Qin Shi recommends in the dream sequence. Right. It's hard to say, though, right? You know, it, it's hard to say because maybe, you know, th those kinds of um, arrangements, she's not really in a position yet to, she's not the head of the household yet. It's not clear that she would be in a position to immediately go out and, and buy property for the family, right? She's She is still pretty young. Um, and, and so maybe it's it's unfair to to judge this early this early on that's fair that's um, fair we kind of get I, like the impression i get of wang Feng here is you know in some companies you know when you have these like large sprawling global corporations it's very difficult to understand in detail how every single part of the company is run and so you sometimes have these people maybe internal or their external consultants who come in and find more efficient ways of running the company, which normally involves sacking loads of people and, and saying you're not allowed to print yeah. more than five mm -hmm. pages a day or, or, or whatever. Um, and, and I kind of get a bit of that sense from her. She's going to come in and have a look at how things are run. And, um, you know, maybe some people are not going to take too kindly to that. I'm a little worried. I'm still worried after mm. the death of Jerry. Uh, I'm... I wonder if uh, uh, Feng Jie's character is um, malleable enough to, to yeah. rise to the challenge. So any, like, what do you think? Any final remarks? What, do you, what are you thinking about? I think this chapter is a kind of turning point in the book, as you alluded to earlier. Uh, we'll see if it plays out this way, but I think the idea of 12 chapter cycles is an interesting one. And if that holds true, then we have just entered into the second mm -hmm. cycle. And what's coming with this is uh, 
is a kind of change in the family's fortunes and, the, and a change in the direction of the plot of the novel. And whereas the death of Jare is happening as they do in consequent, like in, in sequential chapters, the death of Jare and the death of Qin uh, Shi are presented very, very differently, aren't they? One is not quite yes, light-hearted, yeah. but it's somehow inconsequential. Um, and the other is this kind of earth-shattering event mm-hmm. which heralds some new doom. Potentially, yeah, right. I, I, I think that as the story progresses, we may come to look back on the time before her death and the time after her death as as two very different kind of worlds. I, I think that's a good note to end on then. You know, thanks everyone for listening. Um, I, I hope, uh, you know, I hope you all can uh, continue with us <laughs> to this new world, uh, this new sort of, the new reality the uh, our characters are facing. Um, so as always... Be sure to uh, get in contact with us. You can find us on social media. We're both on Twitter. Uh, the podcast handle is at Rereading Stone. Um, so if you have any ideas, any comments, any feedback, we also have a Facebook page, a Reddit page. Um, so again, thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.